Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Uh, let's go to Edmonton and say hi to Donnie first. Oh, hi, Donnie. Hey, Shane. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you, sir. What do you have on your mind? Well, I just want to say, hey, man, you know you're doing a really good job on this show. I uh, recently switched back over to Night Shift, so I've been getting to listen a lot more. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, but I wanted to share some happy, sad news. Okay, cool. Well, um, I like the, the happy news, and uh, how can we help <laughs> you with the sad news? So, I'll start with the sad. So, my mom, uh, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, February. She was 52 years old. Um, it was cancerous. How many years? She was 52. 52. Wow. Young. Yeah. I'm 31, so, you know, my parents aren't very old. Um, anyways, uh, so she was going downhill. We thought she had some so many months to live, but as Friday last week, she slipped into a coma. And uh, so we were told she only had days to live from that point. And so my wife went to labor on Thursday at 11 a.m. And my mom died Thursday at 10.30 a.m. Wow. Wow. And my son was born at 4.30 p.m. How you doing? Are you doing okay, Donnie? Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really have much time, like, because I had a week off prior to this visiting my mom at the hospital. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was in the hospital till Saturday because my wife's uh, labor was emergency section. It was a little complicated. And I basically had one day off yesterday, and I'm back to work tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Um, um, but, well, can I, I'm going to give you a, I, you didn't ask for it, but I'm going to give it anyway because it was advice that was given to me. Um, at a time when I had gone through some stuff in my life and it was different than yours, but it was my counselor that I see and her name's Patty and uh, yeah. she's in Calgary and she's, I call her my Patty because I I'm, I'm big on the mental health. And one oh, of yeah. the things that she said to me is she said, um, be careful when you drive. And yeah. I'm going to say that to you because I can hear the road noise in the back room, but I'm going to say that you didn't ask Donnie, but I, this is man to man here, me and you. Okay. Yeah. Is that I'm going to ask you to be careful when you drive Donnie. Because it's when we drive that that autopilot kicks in and our brain kicks in and sometimes we start thinking and daydreaming. And oh, yeah. I was told yeah. by my Patty that um, uh, there are more accidents when people are driving after trauma, trying to live life normally, than when um, they actually go through the trauma. And so I'm just going to ask you to please, 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 if you find yourself daydreaming and you get yourself in that pickle, please pull over, refresh, do the jumping jacks or whatever it takes. I'll oh, let yeah. the emotion come out. And will you do that for me? Can you can you acknowledge that? And can you please commit to that for me? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Donnie. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm I'm pretty strong. Yeah, like, I know, but I, strong, I had, strong I had is a great. good 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 cry yesterday. Yeah, no, like, I know, really but it sneaks good. up on us, right? I appreciate the honesty in that. I'm just asking you to to just understand, just accept the fact that it might be there. Anyway, so your your yeah. your story though about uh, your baby being born. So tell me about your baby. What's your baby's name? So my baby's name is Riddick. Riddick, and what was uh, your? Um, are you not a hockey fan? Are you? I am a hockey fan. Oh yeah. Are you a Flames fan? No, no, I'm a Maple Leaf fan. Okay, awesome. Well, geez, so it's really been a, it's been a bad couple of days. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> but, um, he was nine pounds and five ounces. 
So he was a big baby. Yeah, I'll say. So what was your mom's name? My mom's name was Penny. Penny. Okay. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe they're listening, but I want to give a shout-out to the U of A, uh, University of Alberta Hospital, um, the 5F3 unit. They uh, they loved her, and she loved them. She kept telling me, like, you know, they took really good care of her. And uh, I'll have some baby pictures sending, and a thank-you card sent to them any day here now. Wonderful. I think that's good. So you're 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 curious a little about about the experience about having your mom yeah. check out and Riddick check in all at the same time. Yeah, I just I don't know if any of your listeners, you know, have the same thing. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, it's it's so weird. It is. And weird. I mean, I've been talking about it to people, like, but I don't know. I, I mean, this radio show is a part of part of my life now. Every every night when I'm working. Well, I'm grateful for that because this is uh, this really is its own community, its own family. Um, exactly. So I'm glad we can be here for you. You know, uh, you know what's interesting to me is you said that the the birth was tough, right? Oh yeah. And uh, and I don't. I'm not a I'm not a guy who actually I kind of go through life trying to take meaning off of things. But I what I hear from what you're saying is that um, you know your mom passed away and then your wife had a very very difficult birth with Riddick. And uh, yeah. I'm not going to put a bunch of meaning on it. I know that everyone has different faith backgrounds and all that stuff. So the structures and belief systems. So, you know, I allow everybody to apply their own on there. But I got to tell you, man, um, I think it's pretty, pretty amazing to think that it's possible that, you know, Penny might have given the opportunity to help. You know, and that's, you know, my, I, I am not super religious. I mean, not that I don't believe because, I mean, something is out there. But. My, I got a lot of family members there, and that's what they said. They're like, you know, your mom was there. Because yeah. I really wanted her to hold her baby, my baby boy. It was my first child. It was, you know, it would have been nice, but things happened the way they happened. Yeah. Well, my invitation to you is uh, reach out. Before we let you go here, Ray will, don't hang up. Ray will give you my email address, okay? Uh, yeah. If I can do anything or if I can introduce you to anybody uh, up in Edmonton, um, you let me know and it will happily be part of that. I appreciate you being part of this family. And I would just like to remind you that raising children to be Leafs fans is not healthy. <laughs> well, you could be Leafs or Oilers. We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Oilers fans, I can, I'm even from Calgary and I'll even say that Oilers fans is different. So I, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Donnie, Thank thanks you for much. your honesty, your authentic, authenticity tonight. We'll put that out to the audience. If anybody has experience like that or stories they want to share, uh, we'll let them call in and we'll uh, do our best to pass it on in amongst all the other content we have planned for the show, okay? Thank you very much, guys. Okay, drive safely, Donnie, please. Yeah, will do. All right, take care, brother. Wow. Well, congratulations, man, on the baby. Seriously, I, I, wonder, I, wonder if he's a, I wonder if he's a Chronicle of Riddick fan. Oh, Maybe. Was, I was thinking hockey. You, you were thinking you were thinking David Riddick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dave, the big save, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah. It is a remarkable story. And uh, Ray, yeah, just grab uh, Ray's going to grab his email. Yeah, I'll I can see him through email. the glass series, chatting him up. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it is. Uh, it's an incredible story, and it's stories like that that really kind of hit you in the in the uh, the things that we don't the things that we don't explain. And the things that we don't need to explain, I realize that some people have belief systems and immediately will sort of apply that belief system there. And that's great. I'm glad you do that. Um, but there's some things that I always find that, you know, we just sometimes you just don't need to know the answer and can just kind of apply that. And not to mention, as a dad, there's another dad in the world today. I think that's so wicked. Oh, man, the dad advice. Just There's so much good dad advice that comes flowing in. For example, man, Donnie 
uh, Donnie, you need cargo shorts now. Like, this is a thing. Like the lines on your lawn matter more than ever now. You've got a child that you're raising, and you need to show that child how to mow a lawn properly and get those lines nice and clean and tight. These things matter. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, let's go to Ka- uh, Kelly. Kelly, are you on the road right now? Yeah, you bet, man. Where are you? Uh, just about at Lamb on Highway 9, heading to uh, Saskatoon from Calgary. All right, on. I hit a deer tonight. For a drive. Too, so. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hit a deer tonight too. <laughs> oh goodness! Are you in a big truck? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank goodness you're not in like a pickup. Mark. Got the big uh, deer killer bumper on the front, so no so. damage to the truck, but the deer didn't make it. Oh goodness! My God. Well, you know, uh, what you want to talk about, Kelly? Get... What's in your mind? Well, number one, like the, in regards to the deer. Um, they're not cutting the grass and the ditches very good out here, right? Well, I think and... they've stopped a lot of that, right? Everywhere that seems to be um, uh, a lot of changes in regards to letting the wildflower and the and everything else just grow in the ditches, and that that is causing a problem with animals because even the small ones you used to be able to see them coming too. Well, exactly, and that's the thing. Like on the edge of the road, some of this grass is getting to be you know a foot and a half, two feet high, and you got a big shadow in the ditch. Yep. So you, you can't see anything moving around or coming off the side, right? And that's sort of what happened to me tonight. But how, How's that feeling when, as a trucker, uh, you know, put on your trucker hat here, um, how is the feeling when you see those two glowing eyeballs at the last second and you realize that they're standing right there, you couldn't see them? Does that does that make you poop a little bit? What, what happens? Well, you know, I don't worry about it too much because, number one, I've been doing this for a long time. And rule number one is don't swerve. Just continue on a straight line or steer towards the back end of the animal, whatever side it's coming from sort of thing. Yeah. But sometimes you can't react quick enough for that. And, you know, the truck that I'm driving, I've got a big, huge aluminum bumper on the front specifically for that. So it doesn't do any damage to the truck, right? Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, no. I've been doing it for so long, I don't even think about it, really. One hell of a anyway, thought, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you were talking last week about um, how you were getting a little short, like yeah. even with your children and stuff like that, and, and you were talking to Michael about the mental health and all that. Yeah. Um, like, for me, it, it, I'm okay. It seems to be a non-issue just because of what I do, I spend a lot of time by myself anyway. Yeah. But I see a lot of stuff like when you're in stores or when I'm home and I'm at the grocery store or, you know, even driving, um, like, say, in Calgary and heavy traffic or whatever, just the abruptness and the shortness of people's temper is really starting to, I think, bother a lot of people. I think so. You know, I and, agree. and that... And I don't know, and you don't know, and nobody knows really where this is going to go. But you look at some of the news stories, like some guy killing a freaking doctor with a hammer today. Yeah. You know, like, what's going on? Like, it's, people really need help, and I can't see the government's doing a whole bunch about it. I know they've put money into it, but, you know, is it reaching the right people? 
Well, one of the questions I, I find, Kelly, is that, um, yeah, the reach of the right people is a very good point, actually. That's a very valid point. And, and, that's, and that's one of the pieces of the puzzle. When I speak to friends who are psychologists, because I have a couple of friends that are psychologists, you know, they, they will say that there's been sort of this ongoing defund that's been happening. And, um, and some places have kicked in more, and especially now with COVID, they're kicking in more. One of the things that people will often say about, you know, mental health is that, you know, why now or, or spending money on that? And, and, you know, some people think it's soft or whatever, but the, uh, which I don't, I think it really matters. I think that we understand the brain, even when you look back to like the seventies, the amount of stuff that we understand about psychology, um, and behaviors and patterns of behavior really is quite new. And we take it for, we take it for granted at times that, that it's so new and it really, really matters. And it's an important part. I mean, even the conversations around the policing, right? There's so many situations that police are sent to where they just can't have all the tools to deal with someone who is maybe mentally not quite stable. So, you know, I agree with you. I mean, how do you get that in front of all the right people to make sure that they can get the help or at least have a phone number close by? But I mean, right now, I mean, here's the thing is here's you and I talking about this, Kelly. And if someone said to me, what's the phone number for, because you're in Alberta, what's the phone number for mental health in Alberta? I, I don't even have that close by to give to you. But if you needed something from 911, I could give you that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, that information's not readily available, I guess. I guess you could just Google it or whatever. But like I think about my son, he's been off work since the beginning of this thing. Yeah. And he's been at home for six months. Yeah. You know, and he's, they, he might be going back to work by the end of the month. He's in the restaurant industry. And his store might be opening up again near the end of the month. So, But, you know, I get concerned about his mental health a little bit. But, you know, he seems to be doing all right. Because he's yeah. got all his buddies and, you know, they're going out to the bar every once in a while just to kind of hang out and stuff and you know he's playing games online and stuff with him like that so he still has that social contact yeah but it's not the same as you know seeing a gathering of people and and socializing or you know just even saying hello to somebody you know yeah it's kind of tough that yeah way. it's interesting i don't i don't know um i what i hear out of this conversation kelly is is definitely the need for us to talk about it more and invite everyone to talk about it because I shared that story because Chuck asked me how I was doing. And, yeah. um, you know, and I had shared, you know, that, you know what, Chuck, I'm pretty short-tempered and, and that's not like me. And I, I've worked really hard for years to not be that guy. And it sounds, it feels awfully familiar in my heart at times when I get frustrated. And uh, so I spent the last week, I did a little unwinding. I took one day off last week in order to get a little extra time and um and everything else and i encourage everyone to do the same i mean at least look in the mirror we don't we, we might not look in the mirror for politics and all the things we get wrong in life but you know when you don't feel right and um and uh, it is okay it's okay to take a little break and do that kelly thanks for the call man i hope your son's okay uh, if we can help yeah, you let us know yeah no he's, he's all right he just uh you know the, the biggest thing like he's 23 you know he's bored out of his mind <laughs> yeah that's the biggest thing so Oh, we just okay, got a text here. Who I'll say this: Alberta Health Services. Somebody Googled it for us, Kelly. It's four zero three nine four three fifteen hundred. So there's the number that was Googled and sent to us. So now we know. <laughs> there you All go. All right, it's a family, <laughs> man. Everyone's here to help, man. It's amazing. People show up from across the country to help out. Drive safely, Kelly, and try to uh, try to keep the road kill to a minimum, will you? This is the Shift Daily Podcast. And we're going to go to the phone and say hello to our buddy Greg Fish. Hey, Greg. How's it going? 
I'm wonderful. Thank you very much, sir. Glad you could join us here on the program. Um, we were uh, we're giving away the best takeaway um, food. We started out this conversation about fried chicken last night. Do you have a favorite takeaway that you do? You have a go to, or are you responsible, or you, you you do like me? You have your your guilty pleasure. Oh no! Of course, like you got to have your guilty pleasure if you're you know alive. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say. Yeah, I'm gonna say for uh, for my wife and me, there's a uh, there's a restaurant nearby. There's a Thai restaurant nearby um, in in LA. Uh, probably some of the best Thai we've ever had. So that's kind of like our our guilty pleasure. If we're feeling a little overwhelmed or we feel like we need a break, we order from them. That's what it is, hey. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Mm. All right. Uh, the reason for we're here is we're going to geek out a little bit about um, the world of weirdthings.com and Greg's articles there on the website. Uh, you're taking us to a place. I don't even know how to introduce this, Greg. Uh, Greg brought me this link of his article that he wrote and said, hey, what do you think about this one? Can we talk about this one? And and I was kind of curious. You know what made me think of? It made me think of getting old, Greg. It made me think of how fundamentally how our body works when we get old is that our body kind of like the eighties when we used to have mixtapes and used to copy a mixtape, every copy of the tape was a little bit more deteriorated. Our bodies kind of work that way because that's what happens is our cells just copy themselves and copy themselves and copy themselves. And much like that great mixtape you had in grade nine, it seems like every time you duplicate it, it wasn't quite as good as it was last time. And uh, I think I took that from the article in the rejuvenation part of what your story was about. Um, but, you know, I thought it would be interesting to think that maybe if we rejuvenated ourselves better, we would, you know, live longer, feel healthier, um, not go to bed perfectly um, healthy and wake up injured. Um, like sometimes it seems to happen these days. So tell us about the article and where, where do we go? Okay, so the article itself is actually about artificial neural networks. And, and we talked about AI um, the last time, but we talked about AI kind of in a, in, in a way that we usually talk about AI right now, which is in the language of economics, in the language of privacy, in the language of security. Um, but I wanted to talk about it in the language of research. So where I went, where I wanted to go with it, is there was a recent paper um, where um, – Computers, uh, where computer scientists were trying to train a set of artificial neural networks that try to really mimic much closer how um, human neurons work. And they found that after a certain time, when they try to train them um, way too much or they try to give them way too, many, uh, way too much data to process, those neural networks started hallucinating. And what they had to do in order to get them back on track is to essentially put them in a state very similar that very similar to what we would find in us when we're sleeping. Huh. So you know what just came to my mind, Greg? Through... Before you continue here, what just came to my mind is how in the world does Greg come yeah. up with this stuff? It's so good. I love it. Uh, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. No, no, no. By all means. Uh, so essentially, instead of training until the networks were, went through all the training material, they would train for a while, they would, be, they would essentially listen to static, and then they would train again, and then they, basically they would be taking power naps. And that, is, that kind of allowed them to reset their connections a little bit and uh, actually learn the things that they were supposed to be learning. Now, the really interesting part is, like I said, it's very similar to what our minds go through. So when we function, 
our neurons are constantly learning. Even in, in, in old age, we're still constantly learning. And after a while, we get really tired. We also start to hallucinate. We start seeing things that aren't there, hearing things that, that aren't actually there. And we really need to get some shut-eye. And if we fail to do that, especially as we get older, that's where you start getting signs of neurodegenerative diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. Because in sleep, what happens is our brain prunes itself. It gets sort of connections that it doesn't need. Uh, a lot of byproducts of our of our brain's constant churn get cleaned up. These are things known as tau proteins. Um, and if that doesn't happen, then those proteins uh, become clumps, and they start literally eating away in our brain, which is what Alzheimer's essentially is in in a very simplified in, in a very simplified way. So this really shows us as we're getting closer to more and more advanced AI. We're not just making more powerful computers and more powerful algorithms that can handle more complicated information. We're also, we're also learning something about ourselves and how intelligence works and how our brains work and why we need sleep or why we need rest. And I feel like that kind of information can really be applied to, to you know, make our lives better. Like you said, as we're getting older, as our bodies wear down, maybe we can find some, some, something very interesting where we can augment ourselves with machinery where we can take all this research and we can adjust it um, to help us live longer and better lives. Because ultimately, uh, where I see AI going personally is I see it as joining with us, as, as becoming part of us, as becoming an extra tool, uh, not as, as something that takes over, not as something that we are somehow going to be subservient to it's going to be it's going to become a part of us and i think at some point it's going to become part of us very literally yeah that's concerning um maybe it's not it is to me um so here's a question for you then so how is the how is what is the connection between the ai learning or doing the learning resting learning resting sort of cycle and humans there is there a fundamental piece of it because you talked about neurons and all of those pieces are the neurons what are driving them to do that? How does it work? Yes. So the way that it works is that in a standard artificial neural network, um, you have inputs, which is basically just pieces of data. And then each piece of data has a certain weight to it. So you average the value of the data and the weight. Uh, and then if it exceeds a certain value, the neuron fires, i.e. it passes on the information to something else. In these neural networks that are called neuromorphic neural networks, um, there is a special differential equation that attempts to mimic what happens in the actual human neurons, how the electrical pulses that flow through our neurons activate the neuron to fire, because sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it does, and it depends on a whole bunch of things that, like I said, are represented by this differential equation. So it's really those equations that try to mimic the action potential of human neurons. That seems to be really the deciding factor because other neural networks that just use the standard process don't have this problem. There's questions about how many layers they can have and how accurate they are based on different statistical averages. Uh, sometimes you have to introduce special layers to mess with the data as, as they go through um, through the neural networks. But it's this attempt to mimic an actual human neuron is what's causing this need to do a train sleep train sleep cycle 
do they do they have to mimic the neuron or is that the only way that they can make the AI think and learn? Well, for this particular AI, that seems to be the only way because they're trying to deal with, with a lot of real world and very complicated sensory data. Essentially, they're trying to see in a way that's much closer to the way that humans see. Um, and one of the reasons why these particular networks were being employed is because the team in question was working on retinal scanners and, and chips that are supposed to be used for biometrics. So things that are supposed to, you know, secure computers, things that are supposed to secure um, buildings, banks, so on and so forth. Because the data is so complex and there's so many variations in the human eye or in the human face, they wanted to get better at recognizing who is who. So it's harder to trick the system. So that's why they chose this model. This model tends to, when you actually do train it successfully, it tends to be much better at it than a lot of the typical convolutional neural networks used today. Huh. Um, okay, so there's some shows on Netflix that have this sort of intertwined uh, oh, I wish I could remember the name of it. It was basically like you had a skin and your, if your brain stem was held intact, you could be moved to a different skin inside the body. Sleeve, I think they called uh, it. Altered carbon? Yeah, that's what it is. And so that's where it makes me start to think when you talk about, you know, intertwining the AI with people. Where do you see that goes? I actually don't think that that's the kind of scenario that's that's laid out in altered carbon is probably not necessarily impossible because there's some pretty interesting things that's been hap that have been happening in neuroscience. And if anything, scientists have been discovering how easy it is to make the brain talk to machinery. Uh, the question is, is more from a practical standpoint, like how do you do it with an actual life human, not just with, you know, a brain, because a lot of these experiments and a lot of these tests are done on people who have some sort of profound, uh, neural damage or profound trauma, and they need an actual assistive device to communicate uh, or do something very basic. So that's really where, where some of these experiments started. Uh, but if you are looking at a healthy human, there's a lot of difficult ethical considerations in place. So that's really where the question is, can we make this technology more reliable, um, less invasive, uh, easier to integrate with the human body. But I think that's that's really ultimately the goal because we all want to be smarter. We all want to be faster. We all want to be better. Um, and if, you know, someone can implant a computer in your head uh, without a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of hassle, then I'm sure that a lot of people will be happy to do that, although provided that, you know, there's certain security in place. You know, if, if you're if you're into sci-fi and, and, and you want to see what could ha what could go wrong there, that's kind of like a ghost in the shell scenario. Yeah. Um, OK, so t logically, then I hear paraplegics, quadriplegics, those kinds of spinal injuries where motor skills, if there could be some sort of artificial intelligence that could if it can't bridge the gap to the brain and that is missing. Is there a way to anticipate what is happening and almost like have a, a second brain that works for your brain? Uh, am I hearing that right? Yes, that's one of the ideas. The other idea is you have an AI that can essentially extend the functioning nerves in the nervous system, the nerves that aren't damaged. Um, you, you take these nerves and you put them in these little vessels that are made of um, alloys like silicon and germanium, um, and then the AI reads the signals from the nervous system and fills in the gaps for you. And then it can go ahead and send 
the um, send the signal to the motor neurons um, in your leg, in, in in any other limbs that that may be damaged, and actually make them move. It would require relearning how to walk and how to move and possibly how to talk, depending on the on the extent of damage. But it's entirely plausible, and that's actually what's being you know really sought out right now. Scary or exciting? One word answer. Exciting. Ooh. I'm going to need to have another conversation with Greg Fish next week to find out how that's exciting. I find it terrifying. <laughs> you oh, know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot harder to hack biology than it is bits and bytes. That's a good point. It's very good. And point. if your and if your AI listens to the to your biology, it's going to be even harder to hack it still. Greg Fish, worldofweirdthings.com. You can see the article on this, plus so many other things. Uh, take a little look. Um, yeah, the World of Weird Things podcast is on there, too. There's uh, so much more. Thanks so much, Greg. Nice to hear your voice. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. As promised, one of the coolest things. I um, uh, When Andrew's here, is, uh, we get to geek out. It's true. So it's true. We, we get to uh, do this again. Are we going spacey this time? What are we doing, Andrew? You know, for once, uh, I actually wasn't. And then I saw a story about, oh, about probably 8.20 p.m. Pacific time. I was about to kind of, I was on my way out the door and I saw it on my phone and I was like, well, guess I'm doing that instead. Um, so we were going to do non-spacey, but uh, I hate to crush the hopes of people who like things like biology, geology, psychology, all the other ologies that don't involve space. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Space is my bread and butter, and uh, I enjoy it very much. Uh, how much do you know about dwarf planets, Shane? Dwarf planets. I know mm. that they are um, up there. Yep, and that's right. They're, they're we. Yep, they are we. And uh, they're not quite considered planets, but they yep. kind of are doing the same thing. Correct, yeah. So that is the basic premise. They are small. They are not quite planets. Sorry, Pluto. For for the longest time, uh, I was a Pluto is a dwarf planet denier. I refused to believe it. Uh, but then I realized that I'm just being stubborn and that scientific convention dictates that, yes, Pluto is a dwarf planet. Um, I'm not happy about it. Not at all. Yeah. But, okay. but that is that is the truth. That is the truth. All it right. is the truth. But that I'm not here to it. wax uh, sad about Pluto's uh, demotion. Some will call it a. Some have the gall to call it a promotion um, to dwarf planet. I'm here to talk about another dwarf planet. It's the only one that kind of orbits within the solar system, kind of in the middle of it. All the other ones are kind of out, uh, either at Pluto or beyond Pluto. Oh, uh, which is in layman's terms, very far away. Um, but this one that I want to talk about is actually in the asteroid belt, which is uh, the part of the solar system that is between Mars and Jupiter, and it's full of asteroids. Um, it's not like in Star Wars, where you see the recent Millennium Falcon dodging, you know, what seems to be like millions of asteroids in the space the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Uh, the asteroid belt is actually really, really kind of light, and there's lots of free space. You could probably fly a ship straight through it and be okay. Hmm. Um, 
and not really have to correct your course. But there are, you know, asteroids. There are rocks out there. There are, you know, bigger things. There may or may not be aliens. There aren't aliens. Oh, this is something that I've, you know, in, in years past, I've always gotten people to say because it needs to – Bear is repeating. So, Shane, repeat after me. It's, yes, sir. it's never aliens. It's never aliens. Until it is aliens. Until it's aliens. It is never aliens. It is never aliens. Until it is actually, actually aliens. Until it's actually, actually aliens. Okay, so if you see a headline that says, could it be aliens? The answer is no. All right. No. It is not. It'd be cool if it was, but it is not. Until it is actually actually, aliens, it is not. Actually aliens. Uh, Alien existence aside, uh, I want to talk about the Dwarf Planet series. Uh, Series spelled C-E-R-E-S, not, you know, my favorite television series of all time. Uh, it's a tiny dwarf planet. It's about a quarter the size of the moon. If you want to kind of put that in perspective, it's about a quarter the size of the moon. It's about okay. 940 kilometers across. So let's use North American geography. Uh, it's You could fit it comfortably between, uh, I don't know, Vancouver and Calgary with a few hundred kilometers to spare on either side. Okay. Uh, so that's about how big it is. Uh, and scientists have long believed it to just be this giant ball of rock floating through space with nothing in it. Uh, but over the years, uh, we've had the, the NASA's Dawn spacecraft has uh, studied it extensively over the years. Uh, it's kind of mapped it. It's taken kind of uh, readings of what its surface composition is like. And it's a lot more active than what scientists uh, have given it credit for, uh, which is very interesting so they've determined that there's a fairly good chance that there might actually be brine, like salty water, under the surface of Ceres. Interesting. Uh, to use the, uh, the, the actual uh, research terminology, uh, they looked at one of the craters. It's a 20-million-year-old crater, and yes, they can determine the age of the crater using you know funky science numbers that I can't understand because I, I don't have a degree in that. Uh, but it's this 20-million-year-old uh, Oxeter crater, and they determined that there is a, quote, extensive reservoir of brine underneath its surface. Hmm. And so they, they figured this out by using something called infrared imaging, and you're able to kind of see, you know, what light bounces back to the infrared camera, and you're able to kind of infer the chemical properties of whatever it bounced off of. Uh, and the team discovered the presence of a compound called hydrohalite. Um, you probably don't know what that is, and I didn't know no. what it was until I read this, and I still don't really know what it is, but that's not what's important. What is important is that it's a material that is common in sea ice. Say it again. What's it called? Hydrohalite. Okay, so what is it? It's a material that is common in sea ice. Okay. Right? <laughs> it, I, I don't need to know what it is to know that it's a material that's common in sea ice. The fact that we have identified potentially this material on what we think is a dry, barren rock is, you know, there's a bit of a there's a bit of an uh, incongruity there, if you will. Dry, barren rock, but with a material that is common in sea ice. Hmm. Okay, it's kind of funky. So follow. So uh, Maria Cristina de Sanctis, she's with Rome's Instituto Nazionale di Astrofisica. Sorry, Italian people. Um, has said that this is a clear sign that Ceres, at least in the past, we don't know about its present right now, we don't know where the water might be, 
But in the past, it had to have had some kind of brine. Because hmm. how else does that material end up there? Yeah. That, I just know it's in the salt water ice. Exactly. So what they're probably thinking is that this brine may still be coming up from within the planet's interior. Oh, cool. So underneath the surface, there's probably, or at least in this paper, they believe that there is a an extensive reservoir of this salted, you know, brine. Probably not good for pickles. It would be weird to have, like, space brine pickles. Yeah, it wouldn't be weird at all. That'd be awesome. I would so buy that. Even if it, I, w- I would so buy that, actually. Um, and so this is what this is from the Italian sur- uh, study. Uh, there is a separate paper from the U.S. and uh, they analyzed images of the same crater and they found that the mounds and hills within it uh, may have been formed when water uh, ejected by the impact of some other rock that smacked into it uh, froze on the surface. And so this would be huge. Because for so long, we've kind of thought, okay, we know the Earth has water. We know that the moon has ice frozen at the bottom of craters near the north and south poles of the moon. Uh, we know that Mars has polar ice caps, and we've seen evidence of uh, subsurface ice, uh, dry ice, carbon dioxide ice uh, on the surface of Mars. We believe that Europa has ice underneath its surface. Uh, it's one of the moons of Saturn, I believe. I might be getting that horribly wrong and embarrassing myself. Uh, it's been a long time since I've actually had to go through my proper roster of uh, objects in the solar system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enceladus is another moon that we have seen water coming out of its surface. We know that these uh, you know, ocean or water worlds exist in the solar system. But we never figured that one of them might just be this, you know, with all respect to Ceres, it's quite a big rock and I would not want it falling on the Earth. Uh, We would not expect to find this on such a tiny, apparently dusty rock uh, floating in the middle of the asteroid belt. And what this does is it opens up the door for us to question, what about Pluto? Could it have reserves of briny water underneath it? Because Pluto is a dwarf planet. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what about the other dwarf planets? I'm going to throw out some names here that you've, you can use these at your uh, virtual coffee table meetings tomorrow or today now. Uh, what about uh, there's one of them is called Eris, and Eris is another dwarf planet that orbits uh, out, you know, if we're going to let's use North American uh, terminology again. If Ceres could fit in between, you know, Vancouver and Edmonton, and this is not to scale, uh, Eris is more or less in the sun. It's that far away. It takes about 560 years for it to go around the sun once. Um, But Eris is massive. Uh, It's almost as big as Pluto. It's about 2,300 kilometers across. And so another question, could this dwarf planet have brine on it? And the big implication for this is we've seen here on, on planet Earth, brine can hold life. Right. Brine has the potential to harbor and develop life. And if that's the case, could there be life hiding? You know, of course, the the big candidates for this are the moons Enceladus uh, and Europa. Those are the two big candidates. We know there's water there. We've seen it spouting out of the surface. Could there be life there? We don't know. But now we have more places to look. Could we be looking at dwarf planets that maybe have, uh, you know, life? Mars, could there be... And, Mars is a dead planet. Let's let's be clear. Mars is currently a dead planet. Uh, we haven't seen any, you know, uh, conclusive evidence that life is present on Mars. Uh, but could life be present in some sort of bacterial 
or incredibly basic format underneath the surface of the planet, where it's shielded from all sorts of bad stuff like solar radiation, uh, a general lack of a magnetic field, uh, the almost non-existent atmosphere. Life and the search for it is something that, you know, saying it's important is a bit of an understatement. If we were ever, ever to confirm the presence of life on a world other than Earth, that would be a paradigm shift for humanity. Mm-hmm. Because for the first time, we would have confirmation that we aren't alone, that we aren't unique. That we are actually, actually aliens. That we are the aliens. Every Ooh. single one of us. Every single one of us. Except, that would mean we would be the aliens. Except for we Phil from accounting. Elsewhere. No, he's, yeah, he's not No, Phil's an actual human. He's, he's, so, but, he's cool. But if we found life on other planets, that means we actually become the alien. Ooh, this got deep. Well, we wouldn't necessarily become the alien. It's possible. It's possible we could be to, you know, whatever life there is external to Earth. Sure, sure. We'd be the alien. Whether or not they're complex enough to have thoughts about whether or not aliens are real is another question. Um, But all of this kind of long preamble and stuff about hydro halite on the surface of Ceres uh, is just a big ramp up to me saying that we now have more candidates in the search for life. Uh, and a big part of NASA's missions going forward in the European Space Agency and Russia's Roscosmos and Japan's JAXA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we're trying to find habitable planets. We're trying to find places where life could exist. And maybe we've, we don't need to look as far as we have been. Perhaps there is life on Mars somewhere. Perhaps there is remains of life on Ceres. Perhaps Pluto, perhaps Europa or Enceladus. There's all these places that are, you know, in the astronomical scale of things, literally right next door, uh, where there could be, you know, little funky, weird alien shrimp swimming around underneath Europa's, you know, icy surface. There could be, you know, neat little, what's another, scallop? People love, kids love scallops, right? No, they no, don't. They but don't? I was okay. going to think there could, be, uh, there could be like turkeys under there and then all the turkey brine's done. Ooh, if there are if if turkeys came pre-brined from Europa, that would be very nice. I wouldn't have to pull out one of those giant um like dairy container kind of things and fill it with brined water and put the lid on anyway. That's that's my I'll save that rant for around Thanksgiving We're or back Christmas. To food. We go back to food it, always. It, it always it loops around. It always comes back to food. It seems to. At least uh, these days. Um and, and I like that. No, the moon is not made of cheese. <laughs> Sorry. I wish it was, but I also don't because we would probably mine it and ruin it. It's uh, Andrew C. Ferreira's uh, Extremely Weird Science. I learned that it's not an alien unless it's actually, actually an alien. Correct. Got it. If you remember nothing from this, which, again, I don't blame you, uh, it's never an alien until it is actually an alien. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.